What do I do? Gospel chapter 6. I'm going to finish chapter 6 today. I'm going to look in one major section this morning. And then tonight, for the last time, we'll be in Mark at the end of the chapter. But Mark 6. And we'll read from verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But... (laughs) Many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When they landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him This is a remote place, they said. It's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages about ten grand a working man's uh, a labourer's wage are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat there's a certain tone in all of this how many loaves do you have he asked go and see when they found out they said five and two fish Uh, And the words there are diminutive. They're quite small, (laughs) loaves and fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the bread, broke the loaves. And he gave them to his disciples to set before the people He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. And the number of men who had eaten was five thousand. This section and the next one about Jesus walking on the water uh, almost flow. This section begins with them reporting back after having been sent out. That in verses 12 and 13, previously, Jesus had had done the ministry, and then he'd done it with them, and then it says that they went out and preached, they were sent in twos, if you remember, that the people should repent, and they drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. And then then there's the discourse that we looked at last Sunday night on John the Baptist, Then it comes back to it, and then in verse 30, the apostles gathered around Jesus, reporting to him all they had done and taught. And the the, the sense of excitement, wow, it worked. Can you imagine that? 
that you've been following the Lord Jesus and you've seen him do it and then he says well now you go and do it uh, and they, they're just gone in, in, in this hesitantly I, I dare say initially and then, but then it had worked in, in Luke's gospel in chapter 10 you have the, do you remember the report when the 70 came back and it says that the, the 70 or the 72 returned with joy you know, you can imagine it, can't you? That they'd gone out somewhat hesitantly, and then God, there had been demons running from them. There had been pe the sick people, and they'd been healed when they prayed, not when Jesus prayed for them. When the, here was a, a a momentous shift in their expectation and their confidence and just the whole sense that it worked they'd gone out with him previously in chapter 1 and verse 39 you have a, a tour but this was a tour without him and actually this is the only time the first time in Mark's gospel that they are called apostles that those who've gone under his authority and they'd gone to preach told the people to repent and, and then God had turned up and they'd found that they could actually take what Jesus had said and it would work. That's quite an important moment in your life. You understand that? that they actually discovered that if you go and do and pray for the sick like he said, it worked. And, and so there's, there's this high sense of exhilaration that they'd seen power on their own ministry and not just on his ministry this is a quantum shift this is a very important move nearly all of us would have a sense of confidence that Jesus can do it we, we would tell our neighbor Jesus can do it but there is a huge there is a huge change from that to say Jesus can do it through me we, we tend to balk at that point. We, we believe the stuff, theoretically, well, of course, but in terms of operating in a dynamic whereby the kingdom of God, the manifestation of the kingdom, is in my life, that, that is a huge step. Anybody own up to that? Anybody agree that, 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 that that's some shift? And, that, and so, so understandably, here the disciples coming back, exhilarated, the kingdom had been manifest, and, and it begs the question, how does this work? Whether it's here or whether it's David Carr, how does this work? How does faith work? And it, it follows on from the, in, in chapter 4 and verse 30, where Jesus teach, teaches about the mustard seed. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, buzz off. You know, you, the, the, it, and actually much that follows from the end of those parables at the end of chapter 4, sequence after sequence after sequence that we've looked at, is dealing with how do I operate in faith? How, how do I see the works of God in my life? That, 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 how do I see the kingdom manifest? And so we're going to take this story this morning and the other one to follow tonight, almost to answer that question, to see how was it that Jesus developed their ministry and how was it that he developed their faith? Well, the first thing that we need to see was that there was a situation here that Jesus almost manufactured for them. 
that faith doesn't grow in a vacuum. The opportunity came and was presented to them. They'd had, we don't know how long, they were been on tour. They'd been healing the sick, preaching repentance, annoying some people, making other people absolutely delighted. But it, all that stuff takes it out on you. You just go on a week's mission up, up, come up Romney Valley and uh, preach Christ and heal the sick and come back and we'll see whether you're exhausted or not. That, and here in a hot climate, dusty roads, and, and therefore Jesus says, well, come apart and rest a while. It must have sounded idyllic. He's, and so they all got into the boat and presumably with, with, with slow headway, they, they went on a short sail. I don't even ever be, I'm not a boatman. Right? Some people are boat people, some people are mountain people. But I, 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 can, I can still enjoy that kind of, well, what if it gets all windy? But have you been on a lake when the, the water's just lapping against the side? And there's a, there's a gentle wind, and the sun is shining, and you put your hand into the water and it doesn't freeze. You know that feeling? And, and they're going on their holidays. They're going to have a well-deserved break. We're just moving off and we're going to have this time away from dusty paths. There's something sublime about it. That it was, a, it was like that feeling when you just left it all behind. Remember that holiday? Can you remember that far back? It's only a month. And you, you just, you're on holiday and something just seems to peel off your life. You remember that? You can't remember it, can you? Because you've been back at work for a week. But, and they're going, it says, to a, a quiet place. How lovely. How thoughtful of the Lord to set it up like this. And one of the commentators said, imagine the groan of despair. That, 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 that they're sailing, or are they rowing, and it's, you know, it's, oh, this is great. It's just us. This is wonderful. Hey, what are those people doing on the, on the shore? What people? Oh, no. There were thousands of them. It was as if the shore was covered with ants. That They were swarming as fast as they were rowing or, or sailing, and it can't have been terribly fast. There was this, this mass of people. Hi! <laughs> Imagine it. Oh, no! It's like meeting ten church members when you get off the plane in Mallorca. Oh, no! Only here, there's 5,000 of them. <laughs> uh, the, I wonder if they said, well, change tack. Let's row right across the lake. But Jesus just keeps on lying. And, the, and they row up to the shore, and they've already got there. It says that when they got to the shore, a large crowd had gathered. Hey, great to see you! And Jesus actually seems quite pleased. He has compassion on, says that they were like sheep without a shepherd, which is a direct quote from Numbers 27, Moses' description of the children of Israel in the wilderness, the, the parallels are quite striking, and, and, uh, and begins to teach many things. You can almost feel the frustration level rising, can't you? 
from the horrible moment that the, the, the moment it dawned on them that this lot are coming too. You know, end of holiday. What peace? What quiet place? It's swarming with people. And then, just the, I don't know if you get, ever get annoyed like this. You know, you, you walk, you, you meet somebody and you, you're just wanting to get away. And, and, and Liz just oh, gets interested in people and wants to talk with them. No, no, dear, we're going away. Got to come off. Anybody else like that? Is it happening in your house? And then, and then Jesus starts to speak. And he, he went on. I mean, we're on holiday. At that moment when you're still trying to salvage the last remnants of hope. Do you remember that feeling? You know, you're still just trying to hold it together in case this holiday can be salvaged. And Jesus talks and he teaches them many things until it's starting to go dark. How long did he speak for? How, how, how wonderful was that to the crowd? But how annoying was that to the disciples? I mean, how irritating. And you can sense the impatience as I read it to try and lift it out of the text there. But you can sense it in the way that they speak. This is a remote place. And it's already very late. Send the people away. <laughs> you bet. But Jesus, you see, is actually creating an opportunity here faith. He's not caught on the hop at all. And isn't it interesting? I, I understand their disappointment. So do you. I, I understand that the inconvenience that's felt, the frustration, the resentment, well wouldn't you? Come on, don't be so pious. The, the interruption, the disturbance, and how long, the prolonged talk. This, he did five sermons, one after another. Can you believe it? And the hunger. And the delay. And they, they took it upon themselves, I'll come to this in a minute, that they, they, they took it upon themselves to kind of organize you. He's got his head in the clouds. Oh, you know, and I don't know whether at some point they interrupted him, and said, it's, it's, Jesus, it's late. Shadows darkening. Send them away. <coughs> there's, a, there's a very, very important point here. Faith does not grow if there's impatience and resentment and criticism and grumbling in my heart ever. Jesus went into that situation and he saw the possibilities. It was an opportunity to Jesus. It was a frustration to the disciples. And there are many situations in our lives where the, God has orchestrated it for us, but we're in, we're in the wrong mode. We're in the kind of negatives that the disciples are in. We're just seeing the impossibility, the inappropriateness, the interruption. We're just in negative mode, and we don't have Jesus' compassion or his expectation 
that this is a situation where the disciples need to grow in faith and have an expectation that even in this, God is going to do something. First point. Do, do, do you, do you recognise in your own heart how utterly inco incompatible the emotions and reactions of the disciples is to actually seeing things happen in the way that Jesus intended? Okay, do you recognise that in your heart? Have you known times when your heart has almost been closing down with negatives like these disciples when a, and actually that is incompatible with faith? Do, 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 can you relate to that? Have I said enough to, for you to have got that point? Because not only was it a challenge that he created, it, it was also what appeared to them a ridiculous challenge. There were thousands of them that there were 5,000 men. Well, add to that the women. You tend to get more women than men in these kind of things. Men have to be at work, of course. Well, no, I can't even say that anymore. But in those days, it was idyllic time. <laughs> 15K? 12K? An enormous number of people. And their, their objections were quite reasonable. It's late. What? Quite reasonable. It's remote. Yep. Quite reasonable. It'll cost too much. I mean, who's got petty cash for 10k, even if you could buy the bread? You know, 15,000 hungry people is a lot of hungry people. But their calculations were correct without the Lord Jesus. Their calculations were right without faith. Their calculations were operating at a level which was quite justifiable, but not here. Of course, their calculations were quite wrong. Maybe they felt responsible. Maybe a lot of the people, and I can think this is quite, quite realistic, that Jesus had operated in his ministry in certain localities, and then it says that he sent them out into other villages. Well, maybe they had gone out and preached and healed and people had really been touched in lots of wider villages and that those people, having heard about the Lord Jesus, well, we need to go and see the real thing. Maybe when they got off the boat, there were people that they reckoned and they just felt responsible. If they, they had gone to the villages and these people had followed them from the villages to see just what was going on in this ministry of Jesus. And, and they, they find themselves standing over a chasm of faith. Well, you give them something to eat. How? How, for goodness sake? What? The, 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 the unreasonable, impossible, ridiculous. You know, he, he can't be serious. Have you felt that with the Lord Jesus? Can you? Okay, I, I'm sure we have. But I'm sure he doesn't mean it. He does. And you're just boxed in by the Lord Jesus in a situation which is absolutely hopeless. You, you've walked the plank and you're on the edge and he's just saying, okay, well, step off. And there's this moment, this hugely challenging moment of faith for them. And, and to be truthful to Jesus, it's a wonderful opportunity for faith. For them, it's a nightmare. Because he, he knew how he was going to resolve it, just that they didn't. And they, 
And, and this is what I, what I referred to a moment ago in verse 35 and 6. Their instinct is to try to organize him. There's something rather patronizing about what the disciples do. They say, it's late, Lord. Oh, don't be so dull. Do you not think he knows that? <laughs> it's a lonely place, Lord. You know, Jesus, you're being impractical. You've got your head in, you're so heavenly-minded, you know earthly use. That kind of thinking. Now, Lord, I, I know what you're saying is true, but I know better how to organize these things. Send them away. Can I say something quite revolutionary here? Jesus knows better how to organize the practicalities of my life than I do. Jesus knows when it's dark, he knows how lonely the place is, and he knows how much it'll cost. He's not stupid. I, do, I mustn't treat him like that. They try to organize themselves out of their little dilemma. They'd have got some consultants in if they could. They had a slight cash flow problem, and the budget really didn't allow what Jesus was saying. But uh, hang on, but we, we, can, we can get a kind of strategy here. We can organize a sequence, and we, we can resolve this for the Lord. That's pure unbelief. That's quite dishonoring. The Lord Jesus does not want us to run his church for him. He doesn't want a clever system. He doesn't want us to organize it and decide it's dark or it's lonely or we haven't got enough money, therefore we will do this. That's not how you do the will of God. That's not kingdom in any sense or shape or form. Amen. Kingdom is all about, in a place of faith, hearing what he's saying and doing it. And sometimes that means you have to walk off the edge. And it actually came to that. You have this, I think, I think it's a, one of the commentators pointed this out, I think it's brilliant. Right? There's, say there's 12K, 12,000 people. That's about this, you know, many has come to watch Cardiff City. <laughs> um, and yeah, you have this huge, sorry Mike, that you, have this, you have this huge gathering of people. And he says that they broke them down into hundreds and fifties. Well, that's still 300 little groups. <laughs> They're everywhere. He's broken them down into kind of manageable table groups, family groups. And they say, okay, and, and sometimes in Christian work, it's almost a relief to be able to be administrative. Well, you feel that, well, sort them out, oh, okay, well, I can do that. Are right, you over there? That, sit down. You are that? Sit, and you've just done 300 groups. Sit down. Right. And you've got people broken down into hundreds and fifties. And then, and they're all kind of salivating and thinking, hmm, I wonder what it is. And, and you've persuaded them all to take their place. And then, we're back where we started. Now you give them something to eat. And that, that place, that position where I accept that this is a faith one. This is where I walk trusting God, not thinking I, with my clever systems, I can work this out for myself. And Jesus wants to bring us to that place. But then thirdly, you have this magnificent moment. It, it, it's stunning. All, this is one of the few elements in every gospel 
They all, John, Matthew, Mark and Luke, they all talk about it. It's all in detail. And uh, suddenly there was bread everywhere. And two small fishes had just kind of, I, I, I don't know. Did, did, it, did, did the bread in Jesus' hand or in theirs, could they see it? Did he kind of pull his cloak round and keep pulling it out so they couldn't see it going? <laughs> How did they do it? How did they do it? Or, or did, did, he, did he put a crumb in, 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 in Simon's hand and he went, and as he went to the people, he went, Phew. imagine. Well, well, I mean, it's fantastic, isn't it? I, I love the story in Kurt Kotz's account of the revival in Indonesia where, where the bananas multiplied. You know, they only had seven and then everybody got one and, oh, hang on a minute, we'll get a banana. Uh, that, I, I wonder if the Lord allows you to see it happen or does he distract you and then suddenly it's there in your hand? I don't know. How did it happen? But all, all we know is that it happened and it was just so memorable. And they collected, this is, I guess is very, this is a beautiful detail. They collected 12 baskets full of fragments. Now, some people say, well, how do they, well, no, a part of, of, the, of the, it's like a woman's handbag. Every Jew in his day carried a wicker basket. It, it was something you did. You, you, you either had your tools in it or your dinner in it or extra clothes in it. it. It was just something that everybody carried. So where the 12 baskets came from is not a problem. Everybody had one. The, the question is, why pick up the crumbs? Didn't they like birds? You know, why? Why? But I think they picked up the crumbs because the crumbs were just such a reminder that they were trophies. They, they would be going away with their pockets, if they had them, stuffed with this bread because I was there. I, I ate the bread, the five loaves and two fishes that went enough to feed 15,000 people. I'm not surprised they kept the crumbs. Are you? The, the crumbs were something to take home, put in a little jar, like the manna, and stick on the mantelpiece and say, that's the bread. I'm going to suggest tonight that the reason that they got into a storm and Jesus kind of washed waves over the crumbs was because we don't put our trust in stuff like that. That's tonight. <laughs> I wonder, so this is all detail and time's going. Uh, it says that Jesus turned his face to heaven and thanked God, thanked his Father. Normally, uh, by rabbinic tradition, I'm told, that you're supposed to look down when you pray the prayer of thanksgiving. Uh, but he looked up. I wonder if he prayed the normal prayer of thanksgiving, who makes bread come from the earth. Because <laughs> you couldn't pray that, could you? He, he makes bread come from under his sleeve. <laughs> It's absolutely unforgettable. Whoop. It's absolutely unforgettable. This moment when faith is justified. When I prove for myself, and all these people are see it evidently, if, if Jesus tells me to do something, I do it, it'll be okay. I, I walk in a manifestation of the kingdom of God in my own life and prove it for myself. 
Even if there's only five loaves and two fish, God can do anything if he has all that we have. God can do anything if he has all that we have. There's more, and there's more than enough. Faith works. They didn't all carry their sandwiches, as some commentators have suggested. They didn't... <laughs> it wasn't a sacrament. You know, that, like when we hand the bread round, it's supposed to be a Thanksgiving meal, and you know you can't take half the loaf. We call it communion. It's got no bearing whatsoever in what happened in the New Testament. They didn't have little cups and, you know, take little bits and nobody thinks you're greedy. Right? That wasn't how it was in the New Testament. That's, that's medieval sacramentalism. But so, some people of, the, of this school have said, well, no, what Jesus did, they had a sacrament. They all kind of lined up and he gave them a bit. How, how, it, with five loaves and two fishes, how much do you get if there's 15,000 of you in the queue and you all get some? I mean... In fact, in John's Gospel, Jesus says that, that, well, let me read it to you, John 6, 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, so this is when they've crossed, this is after the end of Mark 6. They asked him, Rabbi, where did you get here? How did you get here? Your disciples left without you. You were on the mountain. And then suddenly you appeared at the other side and you're in the boat. How did you get here? And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had you fill." Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And they asked him, what must we do to do the work God requires? Now, this is the question, the begin this is the whole theme of what, they're asking, the, what must I do to do the works of God? That's the question that comes naturally out of the disciples on, the, on their first missionary journey, seeing healing and, and it brings the question into my mind. Well then, what must I do? What, how do I work the works of God? How am I going to see the kingdom of God manifest in my life? And Jesus said, Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. It's by faith. That, that what the disciples have done in multiplying the loaves and the fishes, this is how it works, folks. This is how we live the Christian life. It's by faith. It's by getting to places in our life where we don't try and organize ourselves out of it, but we learn to trust and walk and see the promises of God come true. And the truth is that God will stretch us. He will orchestrate difficulties in my life. Go on, smile. He, he will send crises. It's, it's, he will do it because he loves you and because you're his child. It isn't because you've sinned. It isn't because you've messed up. He, God will confront us with impossibilities until we learn to stop organizing, planning, budgeting, consulting, rationalizing. Because that's absolutely incompatible with faith. You can't do both. Or stop grumbling, I suppose. And start believing, trusting, and obeying. 
that this passage, very familiar to all of us, feeding of the 5,000, is all about this raw edge of faith. How do I do the works of God? It's about the, the place in my life where I come to, and I'm not going to try and do a quick sidestep and, and try to solve God's probs, problems for him. I'm going to do what he says and walk in faith out there, relying on him. Beyond my competence, beyond my resources, beyond my confidence and predictions. And I, I simply have to learn. This is the Christian life. I have to learn to trust God for myself. He wants to bring me to a place. He's brought me into the wilderness that I'm in. He's brought you. He's brought me into a place. He puts impossibilities in front of my life that I may learn to trust him. Now, this is in Mark chapter 6. And I might, we might finish now. Luke, come and sit at your piano. Everybody's more comfortable then because they know they're going home. There's a very worrying thing in Mark's Gospel. Can I, can I just say that if you are living in the security of your own resources and you're managing to be a Christian but not take the risks, can, can I say, if you don't like being in the wilderness where these, if you don't like these pressures, and you think, well, I, I, I'll, God will leave me alone. Can I tell you what happens? This is chapter 6. By chapter 8, Jesus is doing exactly the same thing. Only now there's only 4,000. He scales it down a bit to make it easier for them. And he says, well then, you feed them. Deja vu. The, the very same disciples who just kind of balked on this one, within two chapters, Jesus is putting them in exactly the same position and saying, you feed them. Only this time he says, do you still not understand? We walk by faith. We see the, the kingdom of God manifest by faith. We don't organize it, we believe for it. And if, if I don't hear God this time, and I sidestep him, within two chapters he'll bring me to exactly the same place as now then. Do you still not understand? We walk by faith. Pray together. Lord, we thank you for such a magnificent story and event. We, we thank you for the record of so many eyewitnesses that confirm all the gospel writers had to speak of it. 5,000 witnessed it. When the gospels were written, nobody contradicted it. Everybody knew it happened. Lord, we, we thank you, though, that it's more than a, a wonderful event. We thank you that you've recorded it for us to give very, very clear instruction that we are a people to walk by faith and not by reason only. Not to be so clever we know how to do your work for you. And Lord, we, we are all either facing impossibilities and challenges, or we've recently managed to sidestep them 
or they're about to come. We know that in the natural we were born for trouble as the sparks fly upward. Lord, what, we, what we're asking you this morning is that you'll do something in our hearts that we will react differently and learn the lessons quickly. That we might be a people in the, when the challenges we face are sharpest, might really learn to trust you, rely on your promises, and walk by faith, not by sight, but by faith. Will you help us, Lord? Will you put your spirit in my heart that my reaction may not be frustration and disappointment and, and criticism, but might be faith somehow?